Welcome to the Da Vinci Hour, a podcast series that interviews individuals across the field of medicine to help provide an inside look into their experiences and provide insight on how to navigate the journey of becoming a physician. My name is Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and I will be your host. This podcast is brought to you by Da Vinci Academy, a medical education company that provides online video courses, outline format books, and clinical case videos for students studying the medical basic sciences. You can check out all that Da Vinci Academy has to offer at www.dviacademy.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Da Vinci Hour podcast. I am joined this week by Dr. Yang Yang, a PGY-4 integrated vascular surgery resident at MedStar and Georgetown University School of Medicine. So welcome to the program. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So why don't you give us maybe a little bit of your background, like where you went to college, med school, um, what kind of like everything that kind of led up to where you are right now? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I went to college at Drew University. It's a very small liberal arts college uh, in New Jersey. I double majored in biochemistry and neuroscience with a pretty um, set intention of going to medical school. Uh, so between that and actually applying, I worked as a scribe for a little bit in the emergency department, uh, just to kind of get like clinical letters and stuff like that. <clears throat> and then um, obviously really enjoyed what I did in the the emergency department. I actually thought I was going to go into emergency medicine because of it, because I had such a good experience. Um, And so after that, I was accepted to Drexel in Philadelphia. So that's where I went to medical school. And um, I graduated in 2019. My original graduation date was actually 2018, but I decided to apply vascular surgery and I took a research year. Um, So between my third and fourth year of medical school, I took a research year at Penn State. Um, as a research fellow for the vascular surgery department there. Um, So I published a lot, um, I presented a bunch, and I really think that it was very fruitful and got me to where I am today. Uh, So I interviewed for integrated vascular surgery with the intention of just doing an integrated program. I didn't really want to consider like general surgery or fellowship or anything like that. Uh, So I interviewed at mostly almost all vascular surgery programs and uh, MedStar was my top choice. I'm very happy here. I think we have a great program here. I love all of my co-residents. My attendings are great. And I think, you know, residency has its ups and downs, but overall I'm really happy here. I'm really happy with my decision to do vascular and also to do my training here. And so, you know, I'm two weeks into my fourth year and it's been great so far because I'm finally dedicated to just being in the OR and uh, it's been, it's been really awesome so far. That's awesome. Thanks for that, uh, that background. I'm curious. So you did a a couple of years between college and med school, it sounds like, and then you did another uh, research year as well. I'm sort of a non-traditional type like that. Well, I did some years of research. I'm just curious, how do you, looking back on it, even though it's a little bit longer road, do you feel like it was a good kind of good to get that break in between those different like one or two year breaks in between it. Uh, I'm just curious what you, what your thoughts are on that. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think when I, so between college and medical school, I didn't feel like I was ready for medical school. Like I, I didn't feel like I wanted to just kind of go straight into studying and all of that. And I really wanted to also spend the time to actually make sure that medical school was right for me because I also considered uh, a PhD at some point. And so I think having that little bit of a break was nice and just kind of like get out in the world and do like, I don't know, normal 20 year old stuff, like see my friends. And, you know, I think especially when you're pre-med in college, you spend so much time on your extracurriculars and your research and your shadowing. It's just nice to have a little bit of a break and work and interact with like 
people your age or older and be in a professional environment. Um, the research year between my third and fourth year was even better in medical school because it was like a real break um, and a chance to kind of like really hone in on what I wanted to do and spend the time to kind of have like a life and enjoy Philadelphia. Um, obviously, the research component was very, very busy, uh, but I do think that it gave me more of like a nine to five type of um, research position versus in medical school where you're studying from like nine to nine. Uh, so it was definitely much better in that way. I honestly, I see residents in the hospital who have gone the entire way through and I have no idea how they do it. It just sounds like exhausting. So I'm happy with my decision and my path. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would echo that as well. You know, you taking those, I did three years between college and med school and I did like a master's and some research and yeah. it was nice to just be like a normal person yeah, exactly. <laughs> for a few years. <laughs> exactly. And anyone who's in medicine will know like what being a normal person means. Like it means like having weekends and evenings. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Cause when you get to med school and I'm, you know, you can echo this, I'm sure it's like, there's always that stress. And even now in residency, there's even though we do our work, like, you know, there's a lot of reading and like things that you have to do after hours and things right. like that and right. administrative tasks and the time just quickly flies away. So <laughs> it would, really does. yeah. So I would echo your, your recommendation to, for people to consider that out there. That's awesome. So you're a vascular surgery, uh, integrated resident, maybe give us an overview of the field of vascular surgery, uh, which is actually, you know, like I was telling you before we recorded, I, I rotated on as a, as an intern is a very broad field. It's, uh, you know, diverse patient population, procedures, pathology, maybe give us kind of a 30,000 foot overview of the field. Uh, sure. Yeah. So vascular surgery, I think, um, on like the ACGME websites or something like that, when I was first looking it up says that it's a specialty in surgery that deals with uh, arteries, veins, and lymphatics. I would say that most programs, if not all, do mostly arteries and veins. Synthetics sometimes crosses over with plastic surgery. Uh, basically, we operate on the arteries and veins all over the body minus the heart, which is dedicated, like the coronaries and stuff that's dedicated to CT surgery and uh, the brain. So that's dedicated to neurosurgery. But everywhere else we operate on, um, and we do a great combination of open surgery and endovascular cases. So I think it really is the hybrid part of having the open technique and also the endo technique that really drew me in. And I think the disease pathology is so much more than what I even anticipated in medical school. So uh, I think when you're rotating as a student and they want to show you all the cool cases, you get to see the things like the carotids, the aortas. Um, those are all big things that we love to send students to. PAD, like peripheral arterial disease, is also a big part of our practice. Uh, but I think what really surprised me coming in, and I think what's important is that uh, there's also a component of venous disease, like iliocable um, reconstructions that we do, patients with superficial and uh, deep venous disease, DVTs, PEs. And there's also things like dialysis access that I didn't even realize was a part of our practice. Um, so I think, you know, we do operate all over the body and the disease the disease pathology for every single part of the body in between like carotids and aortas and PAD, like all the disease pathology is very different. And so I think that's what makes uh, vascular surgery very challenging, but also really, really fun because I feel like on any given day, I could be doing any type of different things. And my thought process is kind of all over the place. And that's, that's honestly what I really like about it. It's just nice to kind of do a little bit of everything. That's awesome. And I think, you know, what I always thought was really cool about your field is that you do both open and endovascular and, you know, as an IR, we can offer the, you know, minimally invasive and endovascular, but 
there are times, as you know, in the, you know, the, the open route is the better route to go. So I think that's, you know, probably gives you guys a little bit more of a unique perspective that, you know, you not only can offer that, but also, you know, firsthand know like the risks and benefits of both. Yeah, I think it can get stressful to have to always be the one that ends up getting called. Um, but I think there's a, at least for me, there's a lot of pride in knowing that, you know, if something fails, I have this other option as a backup. And I think for me, I knew that I wanted to do a subspecialty and it just kind of adds up and makes even more sense that the ability to do both open and endo and kind of deal with my own complications is something that kind of works with my personality. Gotcha. Gotcha. So maybe give us a little bit of an overview of what integrated vascular surgery residency means. Like, you know, is there general surgery as part of that? Is it all vascular? You were telling me before that like at your point now you're considered a fellow uh, mm -hmm. level. So maybe give it in like, is your intern more of like a, you know, kind of like a traditional general surgery engineer, maybe kind of walk us through the components of it. Um, sure. I can speak to kind of my program specifically, and then also overall. So most integrated vascular surgery programs at across the country have to do a minimum of 18 months of general surgery. So sorry, that's my dog. So, if no you, uh, so uh, general surgery, basically meaning a non-vascular rotation though. So that can include ICU, anesthesia, colorectal, MIS, trauma, IR, anything that's non-vascular, uh, you have to do a minimum of 18 months of it. Some, I think that was adapted um, recently. It used to be 24 months of general surgery. And so some programs have not switched over. Our program has switched over, uh, meaning that we only have to do eight, we do 18 months of non-vascular rotations and then we continue on to vascular surgery. Um, uh, some programs will have you do all of your general surgery at the beginning of your training. So your first like two years or two and a half years, you are only with the general surgery department and your vascular attendings don't even know you until you become a more senior resident and you kind of just like finish up your training as just only doing vascular surgery. I think that's modeled after the general surgery kind of um, fellowship practice where you do five years of general surgery and then two years of fellowship. So you kind of do all the general surgery in the beginning and then finish up with vascular. Um, some programs uh, like my program, I think we're mostly adopting this practice where you do vascular and general surgery scattered throughout your first three years. And so you do a little bit of everything. Obviously intern year is more heavy on general surgery, but second and third year still do you know both. And then as fourth and fifth years, those are your final years. And so those years are only dedicated to vascular. And I think that's standard across all programs. Gotcha. Okay. And then versus the, uh, more traditional route, which is the, like, you know, typically five-year general surgery, right. And then you get boarded in general surgery and then you go on to vascular. Do you guys still get boarded in general surgery or is that kind of more, you more just fo exclusively focus on vascular surgery? Yeah. So the, what I tell people who are interested in vascular, but also might still be interested in general is that we, as an integrated vascular surgery trainee are not qualified to sit for general surgery boards. We don't have like number, we don't have case requirements for those and we don't have, uh, we don't have any graduation requirements so we cannot sit for our general surgery boards. So if anybody is ever interested in doing work globally, that would be the only instance where I think an integrated program might work against you um, because you know, integrative vascular is very specific versus general surgery. If you're boarded in that, you can do a lot kind of across the world. Um, so we call it like the, the lingo, I guess, is um, zero plus five. That's the integrated program. So basically zero years of general surgery and five years of vascular. And the traditional route is called the five plus two. So when you go to like the annual meetings and stuff like that, and they have residency fairs, the tables will say, you know, this program has zero plus five and five plus two, meaning that they have both an integrated program and a fellowship. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Now is, is the advantage, I guess, of doing the general surgery route there, the traditional route is maybe if you're not totally sure you want to do vascular surgery as a medical student, right? Is that, that maybe kind of the biggest, and then on the flip side, the big advantage of doing integrated is you've got your fellowship. Like you don't have to worry about applying to fellowship down the road. General surgery, I think is good if you're considering vascular, but you haven't really rotated through some of the other subspecialties like plastic surgery or CT surgery, I think are common ones that other people also consider. Um, And it's just, as you said, once you do vascular, you're committed to it and there's no, you wouldn't be able to do any general surgery after that. So I think pros and cons to both. If people are unsure, I always recommend them to just do general surgery. The fellowships are still there. They're not like horrifically competitive. And so it's still possible that you would still be a vascular surgeon by the end of your training. I see. Gotcha. (laughs) Gotcha. That makes sense. So I guess maybe kind of going off that, what are your typical days like on the, on the inpatient service uh, for vascular surgery? Yeah. So generally as a, as a chief resident, it's going to be that you round on the service. So you are uh, assigned a team and you round on all of the patients that your attendings have. Uh, So At our program, you lead rounds um, and you kind of make decisions kind of with the team as you're seeing patients. Then you talk, you're the kind of point person, you talk about it with the attending um, and and then you basically go to the OR and operate all day, uh, which is what we've all worked towards, (laughs) which is like the dream. And in between cases, you'll help see like your junior residents with consults, Uh, you'll staff those things. You'll go see patients who are on the floor that you're like worried about. You're kind of like bopping in and out between the OR and the floor. Um, And depending on how the days go, you kind of just stay until the cases are done. Um, At our program, it's very site specific. Some places you'll end by like 4 or 5 p.m. because we do a lot more of like bread and butter vascular surgery. And other places we do like the complex aortic work or like the long reconstructions or the bypasses. And those days end at like 8 to 9 p.m. depending. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So junior residents more getting things ready for rounds, you know, get, you know, obviously writing notes, taking fielding consults. And then when they get to your more year levels, probably obviously operating and learning that and mastering that, but then also kind of overseeing and running the service. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Interns are more, are usually like discharge summaries, orders, like medications. They're kind of like the front line for patients on the floor. Uh, usually second and third years are the consult residents. So they're the ones who kind of get hold the pager and see anyone who uh, needs a vascular consult, which surprisingly is a lot more in the hospital than anyone might think. Um, And then the seniors are the ones, like the fours and fives are the ones who operate in the OR. Um, Anyone at our program is always welcome to come to the OR. It's just that the focus for each level of your training is, you know, one first year is like taking care of patients, second and third year is like learning disease pathology and when someone does and does not need to go to the operating room. And then fourth and fifth year is operating and, you know, honing your skill and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think I would echo that here as well. And I, when I rotated as I was just an intern on vascular, but it was much more like a a floor work focused role that I served. And I did get to go to the OR more than I thought I was going to. They were, they were yes. very generous with that. And yeah. I focused more on the, the endovascular cases, which yeah. was cool. I didn't, I didn't want to, no offense, getting stuck in the aortic surgery for 14 hours. <laughs> Spoken um, like a true IR resident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, the endovascular stuff is really cool. Um, I guess on the flip side of that, you also, which I had to cover as well as an intern was clinic. Um, I guess maybe tell us about, because you guys actually do, for a surgical, especially a fair amount of clinic. And from what I understand, follow your patients, you know, some patients, some patient populations more long-term than people may think. Yeah. 
For a surgical service, we follow our patients um, almost lifelong. There's very few procedures that we do where they would not require a follow-up with us aside from the post-op visit. So like as an example, if we did an aortic case and we did like an EVAR, that patient would have to be surveilled with us for life. Um, if we did something with PAD and we did like a stent or a bypass, they would also have to be surveilled for life. Um, access patients um, usually will come back if they need like a fistulogram or revision or another access creation. So, you know, I think the, the patient population is definitely one that you will see and follow for a long time. I know some of my attendings have seen their patients for 20 years. Uh, which is crazy. And I think it's, it's a lot more than, I, I think maybe aside from like transplant surgeon, uh, we see a lot more than most other specialties in terms of the clinic. Gotcha. Yeah. And what I was impressed with too, is, you know, on both on the inpatient and the clinic side is you guys often are a primary service. You, you run kind of every, every, just like how a medicine or a, a primary general surgery service would, you kind of run all the aspects of care. And then even in clinic, I mean, obviously not to the degree of a primary care physician, but you guys are at least aware, you know, because a lot of your patients have these other comorbidities that you kind of participate and contribute to the management of. Yeah. I think especially in DC with its kind of underserved population, um, we do end up being the primary care doctor for a lot of our patients, um, at least in a lot of the comorbidities that contribute to like PD and aortic disease and stuff like that. Um, they're, you know, if they see somebody, it's probably us. And so, um, we do try and manage as best we can, but it's like you said, on the floor, we have a lot of patients that we carry as our primary and we just kind of manage their diabetes, hypertension, um, DVT risk factors, all of that. So it is it is a lot more, um, I don't want to say like doctoring because everyone doctors, but a lot more like medicine. Um, there was more like medical management than I had expected when I started intern year. Gotcha. So I guess going on that, you know, a lot of people probably, especially the students interested. So what kind of hours do you do? You, do you, and I, I realize this varies very much from program yeah. to program, but yeah. maybe what what hours you kind of keep as a, as a vascular surgery resident? Um, surprisingly better than I thought. I really thought entering a training that I would be like 80 to 100 every single week. Um, my program takes two a year. So we're pretty good in terms of our call pool. We take like Q4 call. <clears throat> and we're pretty good about like the night person kind of does the cases that haven't finished up for the day. So it's not like you stay until all cases are done. There's like a night resident that kind of helps. So I would say my like average, depending, uh, my day starts anywhere between 530 to six and average ends between like six to seven. Um, at some of our more clinic heavy sites or some of our sites where we only do like access, like the VA and stuff like that, we tend to finish around four to five. Um, and then at our busy sites, we finish between like eight to nine to 10. So if you average it out, it ends up being like six to seven. Gotcha. And so you take uh, Q4 call, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, like what your call consists of. Is it like a 24 hour thing? And, and again, I realize that may vary from program to program, but for you, like what's your been kind of your typical experience with a call shift? Uh, sure. So I can talk about junior call and senior call because I most recently actually just did both. Awesome. Like, weeks apart. So <laughs> junior resident call for us is basically just holding the pager and following all patients who are not on our primary service. So any patient who has any other reason for hospitalization and also needs a vascular surgery consult or evaluation, um, we are the ones holding the pager and we're responsible for those patients. Um, there is a, a good amount of autonomy when it comes to that in terms of deciding whether 
whether or not the patient needs to go to the OR. Um, and so that's really nice. For the juniors, we don't do 24-hour call. We do 12 hours um, on the weekends. So like Saturday, 6 to 6, and Sunday, 6 to 6. Um, the interns do take 24-hour call. Um, so they're like physically in-house because they manage the primary patients. And then the seniors, when we say Q4 call, so we take Q4 weeknight call. Um, so we take home call, meaning that if anything comes in that would need to be seen or operated on, we would come in for that. Um, otherwise, things just kind of get staffed through us and managed through us <clears throat> if the in-house resident has any questions. And then on the weekends, we take... Um, uh, from Friday at 6 p.m. to Monday at 6 a.m., we cover call for that. Um, so that's also home call, but the expectation is that you round Saturday and Sunday mornings, you talk about things with the attendings, you see the patients, um, and then you kind of manage things as needed as they come in. Like if a transfer comes in, if something operative comes in, um, you are always available for that. So that's, um, that's our call weekends. So we do one weekend um, every four weeks, and then we take one night we take one night a week. So overall, I think for a, for a vascular surgery, um, that's pretty good. Q4 call, I think is actually very much better than I thought. I know some <laughs> programs um, have like Q2, Q3 call, depending on what year you are. So I think Q4 is very, very reasonable for uh, surgical residency. Yeah. Especially considering you're at a, a major academic center in a busy metropolitan yeah. area that I'm sure yeah, you, you see it all. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, for our program, at least like we need it because our call weekends are so busy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I did my first senior call weekend this past weekend and it, I, it was like nonstop and you just kind of have to like stay there the whole time. So we really need the kind of balance in between to kind of recover and like have a life and, you know, just be a normal person. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you, do you, do you do a lot of research at your program? Is that, is that something that you, you personally are interested in or your co-residents have been pursuing a lot of? Uh, yeah, we, we do a good amount of research. We're not one of the integrated programs that has a dedicated research year. So some programs, um, some of the vascular programs will have like one or two research years built in. Uh, we don't have that. So a lot, a lot of our research is kind of just self-motivated resident run. Some of us are more interested in others. Uh, I am into research, but not super into research. So I don't see that being like a huge part of my career in the future. Um, I think I'm more into like retrospective things that are clinically applicable um, compared to, you know, I wouldn't say that we're a program that has a lot of like basic science or like um, anything like that. So I think a lot of it will be, is just kind of self-driven at our program in terms of what your interests are. We're going to take a quick break to let you know the DaVinci Hour podcast is brought to you by DaVinci Academy, which provides online video courses for the medical basic sciences. These courses are taught using a variety of teaching methods, including bullet point outlines, diagrams, radiology images, and chalk talks to explain the fundamental concepts. We then teach the application of those concepts to numerous clinical pearls that are frequently tested on medical school exams and the USMLE. Our video courses are available on our website, dviacademy.com, as monthly subscriptions starting at $9.99 per month. Each video course has a corresponding outline format textbook as well. You can find the link to our website in the description below. Also, be sure to use the discount code TDH20 to receive 20% off any of our video courses. All right, now back to the podcast. For you, what are your favorite like open procedures to do and then your favorite like endovascular procedures to do? Mm, 
I think my favorite open procedure would probably be an aorta bifem uh, bypass. It's like a, an open belly surgery, but it's uh, aortic and you also have to uh, dissect out the bilateral common femoral arteries, which I always enjoy doing. So it's just like a nice solid case. And I think the patients always recover really well. The patency for that bypass is really good. And most patients just do well over long periods of time. And then my favorite endo procedure, I don't know. I feel like an EVAR. I'm not really an aortic person, but I, all my answers seem to be coming out. Too. <laughs> so uh, I really, I really like doing EVARs, I think. Um, and, you know, the occasional like PAD angio, I enjoy doing those too, but um, I'm only like three weeks into my fourth year. So I still have a lot to, a lot to see and do. And I feel like the more I do, the more I'll kind of get a feel of what I like. Awesome. Yeah. Though there's, I think aortic stuff is cool. I I'm probably biased, but I, I always liked the, like the PAD and like lower extremity peripheral vascular stuff, which, which I yeah. thought was, was pretty it's cool. It's just, there's just something really satisfying about when you cross the CTO and you're like, yeah, like I fixed it. Yeah. It's going to heal. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm curious, like, do people ever do like subspecialty? I mean, you guys, your guys training is long enough. Like do, do mm-hmm. people ever do like subspecialty fellowships or or maybe they don't do a fellowship, but maybe when they get into practice, they say, Hey, I'm going to only do endovascular. I'm only going to do open, or I'm only going to do dialysis access or these types of areas of, of vascular. Does that, how common is that? And, and are there any kind of routes people take to that? Uh, so <clears throat> I think a lot of it is just kind of dependent on what kind of lifestyle you want. And then that kind of derive will kind of tell you what kind of practice you're going to have. Um, the only fellowships that I can really think of that people have done are like CT surgery fellowships. And uh, one of our old fellows did that. And you basically are a true aortic surgeon. So you do everything from the heart down to like the bifurcation. So you do the entire aorta. Uh, I think that's like a one or two year fellowship. There's also some programs in Houston that offer like an open aortic fellowship. So if you felt like your training was too endo heavy, you could do that and just do like a lot of open aortas. But aside from that, there's no true fellowship that people would do. And then if you want it to be like a, so two of our main attendings at our site, one is um, the big aortic person and the other is the big like um, VTE person. And so they both do a little bit of everything, but they have built a practice in which they kind of um, have been referred for these patients with these types of diseases. And neither of them did extra training for it. I think it's just what they developed an interest in and kind of what they built their practice around. And that's kind of how it all came to them. Uh, I think it's totally doable if you joined a practice that was very specifically looking for someone to do like, oh, we want someone to do access creation. We want someone to do like the outpatient angios. Like I think you could very well just make your career based on the type of job that you end up selecting. Gotcha. And is there any general, like, are you going to do more complex things in academia if that's what you want to do? Or, or are there in private practices, there's still that option to do like, you know, open aortic work pretty regularly and, and other complex cases? I think there is always an option in private practice to do that, but it's always easier to do it in an academic center because at that point, when you're getting to the complex aortic cases, even the complex like open bypasses or anything that requires a prolonged hospital stay, you, what you really need is like the ICU and nursing support and like the support of, you know, 
around the clock, like PAs or residents. And at that point, it just becomes like what kind of institution you're going to be at that can help take care of your patients post-operatively. Because I think all of us are trained to be able to do these cases. It's just a matter of where is the patient going to recover? How are they going to recover? What type of support do they need and stuff like that? Gotcha. So I want to segue a little bit. Um, you know, you've grown a large social media following uh, in addition to being a, a very busy vascular surgery resident. I guess what, how did you get started doing that? And, and kind of what's your, your content focus for that? Um, yeah, so it's, so I mostly focus on Instagram. Um, I have had it since my third year of medical school. It's something that I, you know, kind of like do in waves. Sometimes I'll feel really motivated and be like, oh, I really want to like teach a lot and show a lot of my life. And other times when I get really busy, like this past weekend, I'm just like, I have no time to deal with any of this. <laughs> um, so uh, it comes in waves right now. I'm in a wave of, I don't really want to deal with it, but um, it, so I started as a third year because uh, I was, we have this lottery system for rotations and I got a really bad number. So I was sent to pretty far rotation sites, like hours away. Um, and they gave us housing, but I didn't have any other students who were rotating with me, or I'd only have like one or two. So it got a little bit lonely. Um, and I just kind of thought that it would be fun to talk about what I was doing on rotations and like taking photos here and there. Um, and it just kind of continued throughout the rest of medical school and residency uh, specifically. So my entire department knows about my Instagram. Um, you know, everything is, it's like vascular surgeries, um, resident lifestyle. So it's a little bit of my life as a vascular resident. So it's not strictly educational. Um, a lot of it is just kind of what I feel like posting, whether it's like my dog sleeping on the couch or what I had for like brunch on my day off versus like this case that I did, you know, it's like a little bit of everything. And it's just something that I like to do for fun. Um, and I think it's given me a lot of good opportunities, like being on this podcast and like meeting new people. And it's like great, like uh, a really fun thing to talk about when I'm meeting new people. And so I think it's been really positive for me. Uh, I always do worry in the back of my head, like, is, is someone going to see this one day in the future and not like it? So I'm very careful about what I post in terms of work-related things. Like if I, if I, you know, had a tough case, I would never post about it. Like that wouldn't be appropriate. But I think, um, and so in that sense, social media can be difficult because I don't want everyone to think that residency is awesome and so fun and I'm always happy but at the same time I do struggle with it because I don't want to show people that I'm having a hard time because then it would have to deal with patient care which would then be not HIPAA compliant and so um you know that was basically a long-winded way of me saying like that's why I hop back and forth between whether or not I'm like active on air or not so but yeah it's fun um it's kind of like my outlet and um, it's just, my husband is really into photography and videography. And so when we are both feeling it, um, it's just like a, a good pastime for us to do together. You know, thank you for doing that and giving us a small peek into your world as a, as a vascular surgery resident. Uh, I'm sure a lot of, do you get a lot of like messages from students and, and other people that probably seeking advice and, and yeah. just, you know, seeking more types of content and things like that. Yeah, I think so. Um, more than I thought actually, because I went to the 
uh, people will always, you know, ask about advice for applying and I'll always send them an email and we'll chat here and there. But uh, I went to the annual uh, vascular meeting in Boston this year, which was actually like a couple of days after the SIR meeting mm-hmm. also in Boston. Um, <clears throat> and a, a surprising amount of students came up to me and were like, hey, like I follow you on Instagram. It's so cool that you're in vascular surgery. Like I'm just in vascular surgery. Can we like exchange emails or talk more about how to apply stuff like that? And in moments like that, I'm really happy that I have the space and the platform to kind of talk about it and, you know, communicate with them and give them advice. Cause that's something that I definitely would have loved when I was a student just to like navigate the space and figure out what to do and what not to do when it comes to like conferences or even just like talking to people and seeing how small the field is. So. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's probably an interesting way. Are there a lot of vascular surgeons like active on uh, cause like in radiology, a lot of people are active on Twitter. I'm curious, like are, yeah, are you sure. uh, on Instagram or, or <clears throat> Twitter? Yeah, I think Instagram, not so much. Uh, med Twitter is very active for vascular surgery. And I'm, I'm sure you heard like two years ago, the med bikini fiasco that was like mm. really big. So that was a little bit, that was kind of embarrassing. But, um, aside from that, I think similar to IR, um, med Twitter for vascular, it's always nice to talk about like an endo case or an open case and kind of pull the crowd because I think, uh, just like an IR, there's many, many ways to approach things in terms of the devices and catheters and wires that we have. And so it's always very, um, easy to be active on med Twitter and be like engaging and like, just ask a question and have people respond. Um, the Instagram and, uh, TikTok, which I'm not even on, and like YouTube, it's not as saturated. I think. Um, I think probably mostly mostly my Twitter is the big one. Awesome. So I'm curious, maybe you talked a little bit about this uh, in the beginning of the podcast, but maybe going back to your medical school days, you know, you said you came in thinking you want to do ER. Yeah. What kind of shifted that that decision to doing surgery and then eventually doing vascular surgery? Uh, yeah, so I thought I wanted to do emergency medicine. And then I, um, I think I shadowed as like a first or second year again. And uh, I didn't, what I didn't realize was the ED that I had originally scribed at was like a small community hospital and everyone worked together and they were very nice and nothing crazy ever really came in. Um, Versus when I did my rotations in the hospital that we were at in Philly, it was like, complete chaos and I just couldn't deal with it. I was like running around and I saw the attendings and residents running around, but the difference was that they loved it. And I, I was like super stressed out and I couldn't deal with it. So I then for a while, I was like, oh, maybe primary care would be really cool. You know, I feel like it's nice to kind of have that long-term relationship with patients and kind of help them manage their daily, like, I guess not medications, but like everything that they struggle with daily, like sugar, hypertension, any like chronic diseases. Um, But actually what really started it was when I did my OBGYN rotation, Uh, I was doing a bunch of GYN cases and I was like, oh, I really like to be in the operating room. I like really, really enjoyed it. Um, And I think if GYN was its own specialty, I would have considered it, Uh, but obstetrics was just, I didn't really vibe with it. Um, But kind of at that point forward, I was like, I think I should probably pursue a career in the OR. And, me being like an impressionable medical student, people were like, don't do surgery. Why would you do that to yourself? It's so hard. You know, all the things that everyone hears about in medical school, like surgeons are unhappy, all that stuff. Uh, So then I tried to convince myself to like anesthesia because that was the only other specialty I could think of that was in the OR. And I think I shadowed for like two days and I was like, no way, no way. Like, 
one, I'm not smart enough to know all this pharmacology stuff. Two, like I just want to be on the other side of the curtain. And so I was getting really antsy when I did anesthesia. And that was like after two days. So I, I didn't, I really couldn't do it. And then I did my general surgery rotation at a community hospital. And I thought it was cool. I was like, oh, lab coolies aren't bad, but I don't like love it. Hernias are okay. It was like very bread and butter. Uh, and I scrubbed a vascular case just because I happened to be in there. And it was a, an open carotid which I'm sure you've seen, but, or you've seen like the anatomy for it. It's like a, it's a beautiful exposure. The sewing, the patch and the anastomosis is just so like, so uh, elegant. Yeah. I remember, I'm just like thinking back to like Mm -hmm. when I saw it for the first time and it was from like a month of like colostomies and like hemicolectomies and like all these big belly surgeries. And I saw them. sew with like the six, so proline. And I was like shocked. I was like, this is so beautiful. And I got really lucky because my chief resident at the time was going to vascular fellowship and she kind of like saw that I was interested. So she really took me along and was like, Hey, come do this bypass. Hey, come do this EVAR, come see this patient with me. Um, so she really showed me the way. And I think she, she also instilled a lot of confidence in me. She was like, I think you could do it. Yang. Like, if you really want to, you should just go for it. I think hearing that from like a resident as a medical student, when you're uncertain of yourself really carries a lot of weight. Um, and so kind of after that month, uh, is when I was pretty sure that I was set on vascular, but I was behind in terms of applications because I was a, it was like March and I didn't have any away rotation set up. I didn't have a home program, meaning like someone who would write me a letter who was already a vascular surgeon. And so that's why I opted for the research year um, so that I could one, you know, develop my application a little bit more, but also to, you know, shadow in the OR and really decide if this is what I wanted to do. Cause I, I didn't really want to base a career decision off of like one month in the OR. Yeah. I think that's really smart. I mean, I think you know, taking that extra time, taking the extra, you know, that's a lot of times what I advise students too, because it's, we're tempted to go into specialists just because of people we like in them. Nice. And, um, and I think, as you know, as well as I do, there's, there's a wide variety of individuals in any field. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's also good to just make sure you actually like what you are doing from a day-to-day basis, I think. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. I'm curious. So, and you touched a little bit on this, but I guess if, let's say someone's a med student, they're in their you know third year doing rotations. They mm-hmm. think they may want to do vascular surgery. What would be your advice to them? Like, as far as like how they can get enough exposure, find out mm-hmm. if they really like it and then things they can do to like help their application and, uh, with applying. Yeah. So academic vascular surgery is very small. There's only about I think 50 or 60 programs in the country for a total of maybe 70 or 80 spots. So that just means that um, it's competitive, but it's competitive in the sense that they really, what they're looking for are students and eventually residents who are really dedicated to the specialty. They, they're not looking for someone who wants to do, oh, this is a surgical specialty, it's five years, I'll be done, and then I can like be a surgeon. I think the most important thing in vascular surgery is interest in vascular surgery and commitment to vascular surgery. And the ways you can show that are either by research or doing really well on your away rotations. So I always recommend, I know it's difficult with COVID, but I always recommend away rotations for medical students. One, because you can see what a different institution is like from yours. And two, if you are smart enough about which institutions you pick and you do a good job, you can get a very, very strong letter from, let's say, the chair or the program director. And it's very likely that that chair or program director knows almost every other chair and every other program director in the country. So that letter will carry a lot of weight. 
So in kind of the same, uh, um, same way that you wanna do on your away rotations, I also recommend students attend conferences. You'll see by like your second or third conference, you'll see the same people again and again. And the Vascular Annual Meeting is our biggest conference. There's like a residency fair where um, I went between my third and fourth year and I got two of my away rotations just by attending that conference and being like, hey, I'm interested in vascular surgery. Like I'd love to do an away rotation with you guys. And they just made it happen. Um, so really it's about interest. Obviously step scores are important. Publications will help you. But if you just kind of get FaceTime with people and you show that you're interested in your CV shows, like, you know, good letters and stuff like that, that will take you very, very far. That's awesome. So I'm curious for, for these away rotations, like how many do people typically do? And this obviously may have changed, like you said, with COVID, but yeah, what would be like the typical amount people would do? And I guess what's, especially now that you're kind of on the other side of it, what, what's your advice for people kind of standing out and, and doing the best job they can on one of those? I think most people average about two because that's about the time they can fit in before letters and things are, are have to be submitted for ERAS. Um, uh, I did three myself and I thought that was too much. So I think two is probably the sweet spot because by the third one, you start to get tired and burnt out um, unless you can like fit a break in between them. Having had a bunch of sub eyes now, um, you can see the ones that like really want to be here and really want to learn about the program versus the ones who kind of are just here because they think that's the right thing that they should do. And uh, what we are always looking for, for me at least, and I think a lot of my co-residents will agree, we're looking for students who can anticipate um, what we want to do next and what's going to happen next, whether it's in the OR, whether it's, you know, taking down a dressing ahead of time on rounds, whether it's being prepared with the list. Um, students who can anticipate tell us that they're students who are paying attention. Um, you know, if we're in the OR and we're getting a patient ready for an angiogram and it's our like fourth angiogram of the day and you don't know by now that we tuck the arms and shave the groins before we start, it just tells me that you're not really paying attention. Um, you know, I will take, I think most people would take any student who is attentive and listening and has a positive and upbeat attitude over a student who already knows all of the disease pathology and knows all the answers and steps to an operation. Like I think being easy to work with is a really big part of being a good sub-I. And it's hard to really define it, but basically you, as a student, you want to be available, but not so available that you're like getting in the way. You don't wanna be like obstructive because at the end of the day, if you can make things move along and you can make your residents look good and help out the patients, that reflects really highly of you. And so I think having a good upbeat attitude will take you very, very far because we don't expect students coming from another institution to know what we like. But we do expect, or at least the good ones, that once you've seen it a couple of times, you can kind of anticipate and kind of learn what it is that we do here. And, you know, thing, and then the basics of like, I feel like every student should do no matter what, just like know what case you're going into, know the indications of the case, talk to the patient beforehand. Those are kind of all standard things that everyone should be doing. Awesome. Being, I'm obviously haven't been doing it as long as you have, but the, you know, I've worked with some sub eyes and I think I could echo a lot what you said that it's, you know, this, it's honestly the simple things like paying, like you said, paying attention, showing up, being punctual, knowing mm -hmm. your place. I think I'm sure you've had this experience. It's kind of shocking what some medical students will, will do being on the other side of that. I mean, you see a wide array, you see students obviously that are very, very good and do everything yeah. that you mentioned, but then you see some that 
they'll be there in a waiver teacher and they're like not interested in being there or like they'll say oh i only do the big cases i don't like like or stuff like that and yeah that's just like that just doesn't look good <laughs> yeah, i mean i feel like if as a student you're telling me that you think this case is beneath you then you're only going to get worse as a resident <laughs> 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 so we're trying to see if you're gonna be like a hard worker and fit in well with our program so yeah i totally agree with everything you said you definitely see a wide array and you can tell almost within the first week of working with somebody whether or not they're going to be good awesome it's just i feel like it's like about personality, right? It's about like how hard they want to work, if they have a good attitude and if they like actually really want to be here. Yeah, no, I think that makes a huge difference because, you know, these programs are small, like you said, like vascular surgery, you guys only have a couple slots per year. You know, IR is the same way. Yeah. Ours is on the bigger side. We have four per year, but, and then oh. we have, and then we have some ESIR slots as well, but you know, a lot of programs are like one or two slots per year. So these are people you have to work like, you're essentially like, you know, they're going to have to work with you again. Like when I think of these people, especially even being a junior resident, I think of people like these are going to be my junior residents if they come yeah. here. And like, right. I don't want someone who's like entitled or not going to, you know, put the effort in. Right. Or someone that I feel like I can't teach or won't listen. Right. Yeah. Very, very true. Very true. Um, so I guess kind of the, the last part here, you know, so someone's made that final commitment, they've done their ways, they've applied, I guess, what's your, I realize we could do a whole podcast on this, but like, what's your kind of advice with, you know, the application process, interviewing those types yeah. of things uh, for, for vascular surgery residency? Uh, for the application process, I would say apply to every program just because there's only so many programs you want to have a shot everywhere. Uh, obviously don't apply if you know a hundred percent you're not going to go. Um, but I think there's, only so many spots in the program. I, I think everyone should apply to everywhere. Um, and then secondly, um, this may seem like common sense, but maybe it's not. If you're dual applying to general surgery, which a lot of students do, do not dual apply general surgery and vascular surgery at the same institution because the programs will talk and they will somehow figure it out. And it just doesn't really look good um, because inevitably one of the departments will say, well, I'm just a backup for the other department and it's just not gonna do well for you. Um, and then uh, this is going to be kind of cheesy, but have a lot of fun on interviews. Um, some of my really good friends came from the interview season because you see the same like 60, 70 people the whole time and kind of with, I mean, it's different now with like virtual interviews and stuff like that, which is unfortunate, but these are going to be like your colleagues for the rest of your life. And some of them will be department chairs, some of them will be program directors, some of them will be in private practice. Other people you'll be like doing publications with, um, get to know them because you're probably going to know them for the rest of your life. Um, and you'll see the same people, like the really strong applicants, the ones who have done the aways, who have gotten the letters, who have done the research, you'll see them again and again on your interviews. And, you know, it's never, it's really not that you cutthroat in vascular surgery and it's kind of you can kind of tell like by the end who wants to go where and where they're going to end up and so I think it's just it's just like stay friendly with people stay on good terms with people these are people you're going to be working with for the rest of for the rest of your life and I I really didn't realize that until the end of the interview season when I was like I think I've seen this person like 10 times on the interview trail and then like next year I attended a conference and they were there and then I saw them again this past year it's it's a really small field um so I think you know staying on good terms with everybody. And I don't want to say playing nice because it's not cutthroat, but realizing that you're all working towards the same end goal and you could form like really good friendships out of this too. That's awesome. I think that's, that's really good advice and, you know, building those relationships. And mm -hmm. I like that you see people, I remember seeing people a lot on the interview trail 
in many places. And then, and then you, it's cool. You see them again at conferences and you're like, right. Oh, Hey, I interviewed with, maybe they're not at your program, but you're like, Hey, I interviewed with you, know, you at right. this place. Or what'd you think right. of that? And right. you kind of have this shared bond that, that continues mm-hmm. to grow. That's awesome. And even across specialties. I mean, like when you and I were talking about the people <laughs> that we already know mutually, I was like, who's the person at Emory? And you're like, Oh, who's that? That's you know, it's just, it's like, it's nice to know everybody and like, you know, kind of have that relationship. Awesome. Awesome. I, uh, second to last question here, what, what are you, you think are the biggest misconceptions about vascular surgery? Like what a med student or obviously other services would, uh, would, yeah. would perceive about vascular surgery and what you think may not be necessarily true. Uh, so I think one of the biggest, uh, misconceptions is that, um, that we work ourselves to death. Like some people, I feel like people, when I, when I told people that I, I was doing vascular surgery or I was interested, they would always say things like, why would you want a life like that? Why would you operate all night? And like, there's a lot of real vascular emergencies, a lot of life-threatening emergencies, but that doesn't always have to be the practice that you have if that's not what you want. And I think, you know, there's plenty of ways to do OBL-based practices. You could do access creation. You could have a little bit, but not so much. Like vascular surgery doesn't always have to be a complete shit show like people think it is <laughs> for like lack of a better word like people think it's we're like running around with our heads chopped off all the time but we're really we're really not um it's it is it is very very busy and it is like when stuff gets crazy it's like absolutely insane but it's not like that all the time and i think people think that we're like workaholics and we like just love operating and we never go home and see our families um which is not true at all so that's yeah. one i think that's one of the biggest misconceptions out there yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I'll echo that too. You know, even though I only rotated for a month uh, during intern year, I saw a variety of personalities. You know, there were the people you described where like, and you see this in a lot of different fields where they, you know, vascular surgery really is their life. That's, right. you know, they, they are doing, they're the ones doing all these manuscripts and all these other things. And they take all the big cases and, you know, don't care about being there till 10 o'clock. And then there's the other people that, like you said, you know, they have outside lives and other things. And I don't think you know, even whether it's vascular or IR or any other field, I don't think one is necessarily better. It's probably, you know, I'd be curious what you think, but I think it's probably just what fits your personality better. And you see really good people that are really good clinically in both those areas. Or, yeah. You know. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I think one of the, one of the biggest like uh, realizations I had when I applied to vascular was that I would rather be stuck in like a 12 hour bypass than have to round on floor patients for like four hours. And I think that was like, what made, what did it for me? I was like, I'd rather, even if I can go home at 12 PM, I would still rather not do that and come home late at like midnight and like get to do my cases. And I think that says a lot about, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's just like how the time passes. Like I felt like when I was on medicine in ICU, it was like endless and that I would, my soul was like being sucked from my body. And when I'm doing cases or when I'm like running around the hospital, seeing consults, like I never look at the clock. I'm never like, when am I going to go home? When am I like going to be out of here? You know, I think, you know, you have to like really listen to yourself and what you, um, what you feel like you really, really want deep down versus like the societal expectation versus like, you know you know, what people think like girls should do or a boy should do, or like what people with family should or shouldn't do it. At the end of the day, you have to like, listen to yourself and what you can put up with for each of your like own work days. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I always say I, I could never do dermatology. <laughs> like it's, I, I, I didn't like skin. Maybe I could do Mohs surgery, but 
yeah. other than that, like I, I, I don't, right. I, I couldn't do scan. I couldn't do, it's too much clinic. Like it just doesn't right. fit. I don't care how much money they make. It doesn't fit right. my doesn't personality. It doesn't matter what the hours are. It matters <laughs> like what you're doing in those hours, right? Yeah. How 100%. the time passes. So. Yeah. hundred percent agree. So my last question is, and we ask everybody this is when you're not doing vascular surgery and Instagram mm-hmm. posting and, and all those other things, what, what, how do you yeah. balance your life? How do you, uh, what are, what hobbies, passions do you have? Um, oh, hobbies and passions. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like, well, I feel like, um, my husband and I, I, well, it's kind of social media, but we're really into like videography and photography. So we do a lot of like the Instagram reels and stuff. Mm-hmm. He and I have been doing that a lot together. Um, he enjoys like the technical challenge of it. And then we just kind of put it together. Um, but aside from that, we like to, I like to hang out with my dog. That's Paxton. He's asleep, but I oh, like nice. to hang out with my dog. <laughs> we live very close to a park and uh, I spend time with my dog. I like to see my friends, just like normal things. I wouldn't say that I have like a passion, like something that I love outside of vascular, but I also think that I haven't really had time to find one or create and develop one. I think during medical school, I was really into like calligraphy and I tried to pursue that for a while, but to be honest, like when I come home, I just want to eat and watch like stranger things, hang out with my husband on the couch and like call it a day. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. That's, there's all ways to find balance. I think some people try to do too much outside of work. And I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Just kind of decompressing and, and, and hanging out for sure. Yeah. Like taking back some of your day. Yeah, definitely. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. Well, I, the last thing is uh, where can people find you if they want to, uh, you know, follow your Instagram or reach out or things like that. What's your handle and all that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll add this in the show notes, but just so people can hear it too. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, so I am on, uh, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, the YouTube is a little bit less, but Instagram is where I'm most active. It's just Yang Yang MD with an underscore between Yang and MD. Uh, I'm very available via DMs. Um, I usually, if students are interested in applying to vascular surgery, I ask them to send me an email and then we'll kind of chat through email. Um, But yeah, that's where I'm most active. I'm always uh, open to talking with students about kind of my experience in applying and what questions they have in applying. And I'm hoping to start a new like educational series soon on like how to be a good resident and like discuss a little bit more on vascular surgery. Um, So stay tuned for that. I think that will be my next big project. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you again for your time and taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us and tell us more about your field. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is super fun. Of course. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. More episodes are available on our website at dviacademy.com, our YouTube channel. They're also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also on our website, You can find our video courses for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology, and they're available as month-to-month packages. They're also available as a combo package where you can get all three courses in one. Our website also has a store where you can find our outline format textbooks for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology. All textbooks are available in paperback version and as eBooks as well. These textbooks complement our video courses and provide a nice addition to the learning experience of allowing you to focus on the learning and not having to write anything down. On our website, we also provide a free clinical cases video series called Da Vinci Cases. Da Vinci Cases aims to help you learn how to answer USMLE questions and apply concepts that you learn in our courses to answering those questions. 
Our cases cover a variety of topics and organ systems, and they're updated frequently with new cases. And then lastly on our website, you can find our blog, which has interesting articles that cover medical history, important figures in medicine, and innovations in medicine. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour, brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to tune in for our next episode.